So for the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about the power of the resurrection and how we can experience the power of the resurrection in our lives today. The Christian faith is centered in the hope that Jesus rose from the dead about 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, and that that resurrection, that event, actually changes everything. But I think sometimes as we go through our lives, even if we believe in the resurrection, we're not actually and vitally experiencing the resurrection in our lives and not applying the, the resurrection power to the challenges that we face. And so that's what I want to be talking about for the next for the next couple days. And we'll be looking at different New Testament passages where the, the various apostles instruct us on how we can appropriate resurrection power for today. Today, we're going to look at what is perhaps one of the most important of or one of the most inspiring of the passages in this regard. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you have a Bible, I would just encourage you to grab it, or if there's a place, if you could bookmark this passage in your Bibles, it's a passage to go back to. I just want to introduce to you today this, what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 about how the power of the resurrection can affect our lives and can impact us today. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And if we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you will share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the trouble we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, in our hearts we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to, to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then what many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor that has been granted us in answer to the prayers of the men. This is God's word for God's people today. One of the challenges that I think us modern people have is that we've come to expect linear growth and improvement in every area of life. Technology and innovations and advances in healthcare make us believe that everything is going to continually be getting better and faster and cheaper forever and ever and ever. And if we run into a problem, maybe 
we'll be able to download an app that will solve the problem, or we can look up the problem on Google and find a how-to video on YouTube that will show us how to solve the problem, or we can uh, go online and buy a solution to that problem and have it delivered the next day. We're accustomed to progress and opportunity and solutions and constant innovation and, and improvement in every area of life. And so the problem happens when that doesn't happen. When we find ourselves facing a problem for which there is no solution. If you ever had the experience of going to a doctor and having the doctor say, I don't know what's wrong with you and I don't know how I can help you, you know what that frustration feels like. So we believe doctors should know what's wrong with us and they should have a solution to every problem that we face. But the reality is, whether we're modern people or ancient people, everybody at some point in their life faces problems that they can't resolve, faces challenges that they have no solution to. In this moment, we have a global pandemic that's exposing the limits of science and technology and, and global collaboration for all of us to see. But this is just one example of problems that we all face all the time in different areas of our life. And I wanna to talk today about how the power of the resurrection can give us perspective and can give us hope in the midst of these problems. Our scripture today was written by the Apostle Paul. And you remember, if you know about the Apostle Paul, he's, per, he's certainly one of the most significant people in the history of the world, in the history of civilization. No one was closer to God than Paul the Apostle. He wrote about one-third of the New Testament. And in addition to that, he had time to plant a dozen churches in the major cities in the Roman Empire in a couple decades. He was the person who was singularly responsible for spreading the message of the gospel around the world in his day. And yet, in spite of his strength, in spite of his intimacy with God, in spite of his deep insight into the work of God, he faced real challenges in the course of his life. And as he faces those challenges, it's remarkable how honest and transparent he is about the realities of his struggles. He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, and we despaired of life itself. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt we had received a sentence of death. What Paul's describing here is not so much a circumstance where he was beat up, but a, his internal existential state in the midst of the difficulties of his life. What was happening on the outside wasn't really what was relevant. What was relevant was what he was feeling on the inside. He says he was under great pressure, far beyond his ability to endure, and he felt the sentence of death. He despaired of life itself. New Testament scholars tell us that this is unusually strong language that Paul is using in this setting to describe what he is going through and what he is struggling with. He's, his language is as bleak as can be. He's talking almost like, uh, almost of, of what we would call today 
clinical depression or having a absolute nervous breakdown or or being in a state of of complete panic or of uh, of 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 a suicidal ideation, feeling that there was absolutely no hope for his life. So think about that for a moment. Paul the Apostle, the great apostle, the author of Romans and Philippians, the epistle of joy, the author of Ephesians and Colossians, this pillar of the faith, found himself at a certain point in absolute and utter despair and felt that he had in his heart received the sentence of death. The man who said, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice, felt like his life was not worth living. The man who said, give thanks in all situations and rejoice in all circumstances, felt that he couldn't endure his situation. Can you relate to him at all? Have you ever been in a situation where you felt that way? And perhaps where you wondered if your faith was sufficient, if if your faith was strong enough to get you through, or if God was actually there and God was actually listening? If you have, or if you do today, I want to tell you you're on holy ground. You're in good company. Because Paul the Apostle was there as well. Paul descends to the depths, but when he's in the depths, that's where he discovers God. That's where he's renewed in his experience of the power of God and the presence of God. Because the reality of the struggle reminds him to rely on a God who raises the dead. Look what he says in verse 9. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but that we might start to rely on the God who raises the dead. See, all of us want to be self-reliant. All of us want to believe that we have the strength in and of ourselves to get through these things. And even if it's the spiritual strength, even if it's the moral strength, even if it's the strength of our faith or just the strength, physical strength or mental strength, that we can rely on ourselves and get through the challenges we have. Paul says that he had that tendency as well. But then God brought him to the end of himself so that he, the great apostle, would remember that, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to rely on God in my difficult circumstance. The reflex of all of us is self-reliance and God's project in your life. In fact, the reason God brings you to the trials that you face is because he wants to teach you to rely on on God and on God alone. And so God uses these challenges. He uses crises, personal crises and global crises to remind his people that it's on God himself that we have to rely. But Paul, Paul's very specific. He doesn't just say rely on God. He says rely on the God who raises the dead. He invokes the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the reason that followers of Christ can have hope in the midst of their difficulty. It's not just some vague idea of a God who's in control, but it's a specific idea of the God who acted in Christ to conquer death through the resurrection of Jesus that you and I can have hope. 
Paul says he's under great pressure and it's far beyond his ability to endure. But then he, in that, he had to have remembered and he had to have brought to mind the story of Jesus. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying that God would would deliver him and he and, and he prayed, Father, if there be any way, other way, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. And then it says in the midst of that prayer, his sweat became like great drops of blood. If you feel like you're under great pressure and it's far beyond your ability to endure, remember Jesus in the garden. Remember the struggle he had. Remember the suffering that he had. And remember that he entered into that pressure so that he could deliver you from it. When you're under pressure, Jesus knows what that's like. He put himself under pressure. God put him under pressure so he could deliver us from that pressure. Not only that, Paul says he despaired of life itself. He lost the hope of life. And But Paul despaired of life in that moment. Jesus despaired of life in reality, from the cross, he called out in despair, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew what it was like to despair. Jesus entered into our despair so that he could rescue us from our despair, so that he could redeem our despair by using it to move us to hope in him and in him alone. Paul says in his heart he felt the sentence of death. But the Bible tells us that Jesus didn't just feel the sentence of death in his heart. He heard the sentence of death from the very people he had come to save. As he stood in the trial, Jesus heard the crowd respond to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus himself entered into our despair to rescue us from our despair. He entered into our despair to give us hope that when we're despairing, there is redemption available for our despair. And even when our circumstances seem absolutely hopeless, there is hope if we will remember to rely on the God who raises the dead. In fact, I think we could say the whole mental health project for the Christians is to dig deeper into the sufferings of Christ that we might experience in our comprehension of those the power of the resurrection of Christ. That's why Paul says in another place, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. As we, as, as we see the connection between the sufferings of Christ and our sufferings, we'll see the connection between the resurrection of Christ and the hope that we have. Because what the resurrection reminds us of, what the resurrection tells us is that God takes hopeless situations and creates a greater hope in them. There was no more hopeless situation than the one who was the very son of God was forsaken by his father. There was no more hopeless situation than the one who was supposed to be the savior of the world was rejected by the people who he came to save. There was no more hopeless situation when the one who was supposed to be the victor over, over sin and death succumbed to death when he hung on the cross. For the people of his day, a crucified Messiah was no Messiah at all. 
but the story of the life of Jesus, the story of the work of Jesus, the story of, of the victory of Jesus is the story of how God took that darkest day, the worst day, and accomplished his greatest victory through it. And in that terrible day, he conquered sin and conquered death and conquered the devil. And if he did that through Jesus' darkest day, he's going to do that through your darkest day if you will trust in him, if you will follow him, and if you will put your hope in him. Don't sleep on God. In the midst of the darkness, he has ways of working things out that you cannot imagine. He has ways of resolving your issue that are beyond your comprehension right now. He has ways of working bad things together for good that are completely outside of the realm of the possibilities that you can conceive of. The resurrection of Jesus is the way of God in this world. And that's where the power of God is revealed. He comes into the darkness and he shines a light that we never would have anticipated. He takes the worst of circumstances and makes it into the best of circumstances. Think of how this is just sewn into the life of the church and the experience of Christians. Any other hero that we celebrate, we we any other historic hero that we celebrate and who we remember, we remember them on their birthday or a day when they accomplished something great. So we celebrate the founding presidents on President's Day when we remember the the pre, the, the birth of uh, George Washington. We remember Martin Luther King not on the day he was assassinated, but on the day of his birth, which was in January. And so we tend as people when we want to commemorate famous people, we remember their birthday. But in the case of Jesus for the church, when we, when we remember him, we remember not so much his birthday as his death day. Think of the sacrament of communion, where we celebrate and commemorate the Lord's death, the body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ that it was shed for us. And, and we remember these things and we even celebrate these things because we know that the, the shedding of the blood of Christ, the breaking of the body of Christ was not the end. It was the path to victory. It was the path to redemption. It was the path to salvation. And so, so Christians commemorate, and every time we think of Jesus, we're commemorating the fact that God's way of working is to take the worst of circumstances and turn them into the best of circumstances. Christians today wear crosses around their neck. Christians today decorate their churches with crosses. And remember, the cross was a brutal instrument of torture. But Jesus redeemed the image of the cross. Jesus transformed the image of the cross from an image of torture and tragedy and cruelty to an image of resurrection and redemption and salvation. And so that means that the deaths we face, that the images of torture and cruelty and brokenness that are all around us under the grace of God, when the power of God is applied to them and when the power of God goes to work in them, those images and those realities become tools of his redemption and tools of restoration. 
when your body is broken, that is actually the opportunity for God to come in and work a resurrection. When you find yourself bearing a cross, that is actually a sign that you are on the path on the path to ultimate victory. So, so in our trials, in our struggles, God is working to remind us that we can't be self-reliant, that we can't even rely on our friends, we can't rely on our jobs, we can't rely on politicians, we can't rely on the economy, we can't rely on the company we work for. Ultimately, we want to, we must rely on him. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. But how does this happen? How does this become real to us? And I think one thing that that really struck me as I reflected on this passage and studied this passage again this week is that we experience the reality of resurrection power together. We rely on resurrection power together. And that's kind of the point of this passage. Paul says, I was under this great pressure. I was beyond my ability to endure. I despaired of life. But this happened that I might learn to rely on the resurrection power of God. He has delivered me and he will deliver me. But then he says this, he says, as you continue to help us by your prayers, and then many will give thanks for the gracious favor granted to us and answer to the prayers of many. Paul is profoundly self-conscious of the fact that God has been gracious to us, gracious to him in a way that was facilitated by the prayers of his friends at the church in Corinth, and that he was dependent on the prayers of other people to survive the challenges that he was facing. He didn't experience resurrection power alone. He experienced the resurrection power in full communion with his friends at the church there. And And so Paul shares his problems so that he can also share his deliverance. He says at the very beginning, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. He's he's reminding them of how severe his his problems are. And then, then he says at the end, on him, on God, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers, that many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. As tough as Paul was, as accomplished as Paul was, as close to God as Paul was as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he recognized that the prayers of other people were essential to his help, and he was eager to share his personal experience of God's grace and mercy with the church at at Corinth so that they could be encouraged and also so that they could join him in giving thanks for the redemption he experienced. And, And he goes on to say, this is the way God works. At the very beginning of this passage in verse four, he says, God comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. He says, I've experienced God's comfort. I've experienced God's deliverance. I've experienced God's redemption. And I recognize one of the main reasons for that is not just so that I could be someone who could trumpet the comfort of God and the redemption of God, but I've experienced this 
so that I can share that comfort with others, so that I can spread the message and spread the hope that for you in your difficult situation, for you in your impossible situation, for you in your painful situation, there is hope, there can be hope as we trust in him. And so this is a theme of the whole New Testament, that the realities of Christian experience, the realities of the redemption purchased by Christ, the realities of the victory over sin and death that Jesus accomplished is a present reality, but it's not a a reality that we experience alone. It's a reality that becomes real to us when we're together. It's a reality that multiplies as we give it away. It's a reality that grows as we share it with others. And that's why in Christian, in the Christian faith, perhaps more so than any other faith, we value fellowship. We prioritize coming together and celebrating together, worshiping together. And the greatest gift you can give someone else is to give them your presence, to give them your attention, to share how God is working in your life and to hear how God is working in their life. The greatest gift you can give to someone else is to pray for them. As Paul says here, it's because the church at Corinth helped him by their prayers that he experienced the great deli- the great deliverance that he experienced. See, power grows as we're together. Our experience of the gospel, our experience of the power of the resurrection increases as we come together and as we multiply our thanksgiving for the way that we see God working in the world around us. If that's not real to you, what you need to do, what I need to do when we're struggling and when when our faith is waning is we need to seek out connection. We need to seek out fellowship. But this is also the challenge of the moment. We're in this time of physical distancing where we can't meet with our friends, we can't go out to lunch, we can't meet for coffee, we can't we can't practice hospitality the way the Bible instructs us to. And, uh, you know, this is a stress for all of us. As a, as a pastor and as, as a follower of Christ, I'm a big believer in the importance of personal presence, of getting together with people, of speaking face-to-face. And as much as I appreciate technology, I believe that high-tech is no no substitute for high touch and virtual connections are no substitute for personal connections. So I was thinking about that and I was thinking, but there are times when this is all we have. And then I thought, you know, Paul wrote this letter, the letter of second Corinthians, and he's talking about, and he's extolling his spiritual connection with the church at Corinth. But you know, Paul ministered in a time before there was Twitter before there was Instagram, before there was Facebook, before there was email, before there were telephones or even the Pony Express or any way of communicating. You know, Paul received a letter, received communications from representatives of the church at Corinth, and then he would write a letter in response. He'd give it to a friend who was traveling in that direction, and maybe they'd get that letter a month later. And then they'd write a letter to him, or they would send a messenger or a friend from Corinth would come and and catch up with Paul, and he'd give them an update on what is happening there. And and so maybe once a month or so, there might be some, some communication between these two churches. But Paul says, 
even in that, he's experiencing the power of God. Even in that, he's experiencing the reality of the resurrection. He has experienced the reality of their prayers. He's he's able to share with them the comfort that he has received with God. Even in that limited communication, Paul is able to spiritually connect with the church there. And if that was true for Paul the Apostle, when when he had that the limits of writing letters on parchment and sending them on slow boats to Corinth, how much ought that to be true for us? When we can pick up a phone, when we can send a message, when we can join a vi- video conference, it's possible for us to be connected even as we're physically separated. Physical distance is required by the circumstance, but I think that makes it all the more important for the children of God, for the followers of Christ, for the family of God, to make the most of our opportunities to practice social connection, to practice spiritual connection, to have one another in our hearts. Because the power of the resurrection is not something we experience alone, primarily. It's something we experience together, and we learn to rely on on resurrection power as we're together. The resurrection power becomes bigger and greater for us as we share it with one another. And so I want to challenge all of you, my friends, to recommit your life during this time of social isolation, during this time of quarantine, during while we're under the stay-at-home order, recommit your, yourself to praying for one another, to connecting with one another, to to finding out what's going on with one another and being together even while we're apart that we might together experience and rely on the resurrection power of God in our midst. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would make this real to us. Father, as all the things we rely on in this world are taken away from us, Help us to rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. And help us to share that commitment, share that reliance, and share that hope with our friends and neighbors all around us in powerful and profound ways that we might encourage one another. I pray particularly for those who perhaps relate to the part where Paul says he's under great distress and the pressure he's under is far beyond his ability to endure, and we're despairing of life itself. Father, I know there's people who are hearing my voice right now who are feeling that, and I pray that you would be gracious to them. I pray that you would be kind to them. I pray that you would grant them deliverance through the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.